TII Item 304, April 23rd, 2014, iOS 7.1.1, and Apple finds Nessie. Welcome to Today in iPhone. I like it a lot. Today in iPhone. Hey, Gullah! Oh, yeah. My beautiful iPhone, which I never have out of my hand and that I do everything with and has become an extension of whom I am. This episode of Today in iOS is brought to you by lynda.com. Learn the top software, creative, and business skills from easy-to-follow video tutorials at lynda.com. To start your free seven-day trial, visit lynda.com slash TII. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Rob, and this is the Today in iOS podcast. First up, I want to thank Jeff for sending in the music here in the background. Jeff wrote, Hi, Rob. I made this song with my iPhone 4S using GarageBand app. For free downloads and more music, follow me at JeffJ6 on Twitter. Regards, JeffJ. Well, thanks, Jeff, for the music. And folks, I will put the full song at the end of the episode. I also want to thank Dan for sending in the artwork for today's show. Dan wrote, Hi, Rob. I took a photo of an old Apple stamp. Not sure what era it's from, possibly the 80s. Not sure where I got it either. I took a shot with the built-in camera app, then tweaked it up with Pick Tap Go. Hope you like it. I'd love to see other Apple collectibles that people may have. Regards, Dan. Dan, thanks again for sending in this artwork. And folks, you can see Dan's artwork in the TII app in the extras for episode 304. Or if you subscribe via iTunes on your computer as the album artwork. And also as a standalone post in the VIP section and at facebook.com slash todayinios. If you have some artwork and or music you have created on your iOS device that you would like to share with the audience, please email it to me at todayinios at gmail.com. And please make sure to include which app or apps you use to create said artwork and or music. In this segment of How Wrong Were They, we have the following quote. Quote, it was a bigger iPod touch. I question whether those features would be enough to get people to buy new machines. Unquote. Satora Iwata, President Nintendo, 29th January 2010, talking about the iPad. Let's look at the Wii sales all time to the end of 2013, why don't we? That would be 100.9 million consoles sold. Not too shabby, but all time does go back to November 2006 for the Wii, a little over nine years. Between March 2010 and the end of 2013, about three and three quarter years, the iPad sold a total of 195.15 million units, almost 2x the sales in less than one half of the time. And as we will likely hear later in the show, last quarter, for iPad sales, Apple sold close to 20% of the Wii's all-time sales number in just the past three months. Just saying. For promo codes on episode 303, we offered up chances to win promo codes for the apps Flash SMS and iMassage, Thai Massage and Reflexology. Actually gave them all away, as both had a short amount of time before the promo codes expired. That said, for iMassage app, wow, I guess there are a lot, and I mean a lot of stressed out listeners to this show, as I had well over 100 people email in for that app in just the first couple of days. Well over double what I normally get for an app over a couple of weeks. If you would like to learn more about this app, go back and listen to the beginning of episode 303, but it seems everyone is a little stressed out. Maybe it's all the iOS rumors that are getting you stressed out, or it's having to deal with the Google fanboys, or maybe it's a little of both. Oh, wait, that would be me. I'm 
I'm talking about. No promo codes for this episode, which means you as a dev just missed out on a great free opportunity to promote your show or your app on this show. Hey, folks, promotion, promotion, promotion. That is part of the game if you're going to be an app dev. Kudos for the guys from iMassage. They got it, and they did apparently a very good job on their promo read based on the responses that came in on that. Well, anyway, as always, a quick reminder, if you are an app dev or an iBook author, email me if you want your app or iBook featured in the promo giveaway segment. We just need the five promo codes or more to give away. Simply email me at todayinios at gmail.com and please include a 60-second or less audio review of your app or iBook indicating you are the dev or author. Also, when you send in the promo codes, please make sure to let me know when they expire. Just a quick heads up, this episode, for the most part, is being recorded on Tuesday night, the 22nd, and then I'll finish it up on Wednesday, the 23rd, after Apple does their quarterly conference call. So pretty much everything up until we talk about the quarterly conference call at the very end of the show will have been recorded Tuesday night. That'll let me get this episode out as fast as possible on Wednesday after the quarterly call. On the last episode, we talked about estimates for iPhone sales for the last quarter from all the analysts. Now, Philip Elmer DeWitt has the list of estimates for iPads sold. And it ranges from a crazy low of $15 million from Matt Liu of the Brayburn Group to a high of $21.81 million from Horace Dedu from Asimco. To put past numbers in perspective, last year for this quarter, it was 19.5 million iPads sold, and the year before that, it was 11.8 million units sold. Interesting, with the iPhone, the pro analysts were both at the high and the low estimates. This time, it is the indies with the high and the low number. Yet, both groups this year are showing, on average, a slight decline in iPad sales from 2013 to 2014 for that first quarter. I am not good at these guesses, but that doesn't keep me from doing them. I would put the number this time slightly higher than last year's 19.5 mil, and I'm going with a 20.2 million guess for the quarter. We'll see later in the show how I did. Again, this part is being recorded Tuesday night. So before this episode is over, we will see how good or bad I did. One thing we do know for sure is sometime last quarter, Apple sold its 200 millionth iPad and its 500 millionth iPhone. Add in iPod Touch sales, and over 750 million iOS devices have been sold to date. We'll be curious if Apple mentions that at all in their conference call. I wonder if you throw Apple TVs in there if you get over 800 million. Okay, now on to some non-financial news that affects iOS users. Apple released iOS 7.1.1 update on Tuesday, and as with any double dot update, it is all about the bug fixes. Hey, I like that phrase, double dot update. Hmm, maybe I should go to Hover and register double dot update dot com. Nah, I'll leave it for someone else. I have a show to do. Not that it takes long at Hover, but, well, they are not sponsoring this episode. So let's keep this from getting into a free ad for them. But hey, use promo code TIITV to save 10% if you are a new Hover user. Just saying. See, I told you I promote them even when they're not sponsoring the show. Shh. Anyway. With this double dot update, the descriptions of what is in the update are what you expect. Further improvements to Touch ID, fixes a bug for keyboard responsiveness, fixes an issue with Bluetooth keyboards with voiceover enabled, 
Like I said, nothing but bug fixes and nothing new or sexy with this release. But I will say this. If you have a Pebble, be warned. When I did the update, my Pebble stopped working. I could not get my Pebble to work with my iPhone no matter what I tried. Then I saw an update in the App Store for the Pebble app. I downloaded it and then was able to get it to pair again and work fine. So if you do the update to 7.1.1 and you have a Pebble, make sure you update to the latest version of the Pebble app via the Apple App Store on your iOS device. Also, before doing any updates at all, remember the following uh, for the standard TII procedure for updating. One, sync all photos over to your computer. Two, sync, backup, sync your iOS devices to your computer in that order. Sync, then backup, then sync. Three, force quit all open apps. Four, go to settings, general, reset, reset network settings. Five, go to Wi-Fi, log back into your Wi-Fi network. Six, do the update. There is also step zero, wait a week for updating so you can hear if there's any other unknown issues popping up as there typically is something like I saw with the Pebble. But once you are ready to update, follow those steps I just mentioned. And yes, I know some people don't follow those steps and don't have issues. They're lucky. Don't, don't, don't play Russian roulette with your updates. I know some people, again, don't have the issues, but just because you don't have the issue this time doesn't mean you won't have it next time. Just saying. Thanks to Michael for the heads up on this next one, which is from iMore, and it's about the iOS 7.1.1 update that now in the App Store on your iOS device, it lets you know if there is are any in-app purchases. Well, except that this is not new for iOS 7.1.1. It was actually there for 7.1 update, but that's fine because... I noticed it previously and meant to mention it on the show and, well, did not, so shame on me for not mentioning it previously. But yes, if you have an iOS 7.1.x update, whichever, and that X can be nothing or the .1, you will now see in the App Store app if an app has in-app purchases, which is Apple's way of saying, be careful, as free may not be as free as you well were led to think by that big free next to the app kind of indicates. Anyway, to see what this looks like, just search for Farmville and you will see what the warning is in very small print there underneath the uh, title of the app. Thanks again to Linda for sponsoring this episode. And if you go to lynda.com slash TII, that's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash TII, you will get a free seven-day trial to their service. They offer over 2,000 high-quality video courses taught by industry experts. These courses cover subjects including business skills like SEO, viral marketing, content marketing, and negotiating. There are software video courses covering MS Office, Adobe Creative Suite, and, yep, Final Cut Pro. And, of course, there are iOS app development courses. There are over 25 iOS courses available at lynda.com, and that number is growing. Some of the new ones are... Programming for Non-Programming, iOS 7 by Todd Perkins. This was released on April 10th. This one covers the nitty-gritty, like installing and configuring Xcode and the iOS simulator on your Mac. Things you have to do to, before you can even program. Plus, all the other things you need to know to get started writing an iOS app. But if programming is not your thing, but you want to get more out of your iOS device, there is Shooting with the iPhone 5S by Ben Long, released April 4th. It goes over the differences between the 5S and an SLR and takes you from 
beginner subjects up to more advanced topics like understanding what the heck HDR is and how to make it the most of it. And of course, there are courses and tutorials on many, many business subjects and software topics. If you are looking to improve your position in the workforce or just improve the pictures of your kids, there are many, many tutorials for you to look at at lynda.com. And again, this is an all-you-can-eat monthly service. Watch anytime, as often as you like, from your computer or iOS device. There are searchable transcripts right along with closed caption transcripts. And you don't need to take my word for the breadth and quality of these tutorials. You can check them out right now for yourself for free for seven days by going to lynda.com slash T-I-I. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash T-I-I. So use that free trial period to learn how to shoot better pictures and video with your iPhone 5S. It is a really nice tutorial. Good job, Ben. Hey, Rob. This is uh, Chris in Temecula, Marietta, California. And I was calling in regards to the question about the cycling app. I use RunKeeper you know, for running, but it also has, you can set it for options for cycling, hiking, all sorts of different things. Works really well, easy program to use, and does everything that the, uh, that the caller asks for. So, anyways, thanks for the show. Bye. Hi, Rob. This is Bob calling from Virginia. The guy who needed a, an app for tracking his bicycling routes. I'm not a bicyclist, but I'm a photographer, and I'm driving around all the time looking for shots. For the last year, I've been using an app on the iPhone called Raw Tracker. That's R-A-A-H Tracker, all one word. I don't know what R-A-A-A stands for, uh, but it's really good. It uh, you don't need all you need is the GPS in your phone, and what it does is it's every 10 seconds it samples a coordinate and keeps track of them. Uh, you you get a you log on to his website, which is free. You just get an account, and w once you're finished with your trip, it maps out exactly where you've been, tells you uh, exactly when you were there, at what time of day, tells the al altitude that you are, and this is every 10 seconds. On a bicycle, on a car, it's you know obviously farther apart. On a bicycle, it would be the, the points would be closer together. But he has tracked um, on his on his website. He's tracked a trip from, uh, I believe it's from um, Niagara Falls to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So it can do it. It can it can run for forever, like 12, 13 hours. I don't know if it's going to bike that long. But I've, it's it's not a free app. I think it was 4.99 when I bought it, but it's been worth it. Absolutely worth it. It's a, it's a great app. Thanks for the show. Bye. Hey Rob. Hey uh, listener. Eric Herring from Washington, D.C. I used to use one called Map My Ride, which is really good and really easy to use. It does everything that he was asking for. The one I use now is called Strava, S-T-R-A-V-A, -A, Strava. And it's a really great app. It does everything he was asking for. But it also has like a little interaction with other users built into it. Uh, when you ride a segment, let's say you do a 20-mile loop around Washington, D.C., for example, certain segments that you ride on other riders have ridden that before and it records their time and how fast they did it in. So basically when you get done with your session, you can look and it will compare your times to other people that have done that same segment before you. And you can create your own segments and it's, it actually makes it a little fun and interactive and there's leaderboards and you can try to get to the top of the leaderboard, which is called King of the Mountain on their app. It's a really great app, really easy to use. It's fun. 
and makes cycling, brings it to a totally different level. Uh, when you're out on a group ride with a bunch of people, all of a sudden people will just take off at one point. You're like, what's going on? Someone will say, oh, it's a Strava segment. And you're like, oh, okay. Because they'll try to, they're trying to get King the Mountain and be the top person. So anyway, it's a lot of fun. Uh, thanks again for your podcast. Really enjoy it. And talk to you soon. Gentlemen, thanks for your replies on that question. And we actually have more email replies for this. Hi, Rob. Having tried several paid and free bicycle companion apps myself, my recommendation to the listener who is looking for one is Runtastic Road Bike. It fills all the mentioned requirements, GPS tracking, social network sharing, support for external bike and health monitoring devices, and so on. I particularly appreciate the ability to save a map area into your phone so the app doesn't use cellular data downloading it when it's tracking a ride. A solid alternative would be Strava Cycling. Regards, Fernando R. in London, UK. Dan M. in Heartland, Wisconsin, also put in a vote for Strava. Hi, Rob. I highly recommend Cyclimeter GPS by Abivo, Inc. It does everything he wants and more for the great price of free. There is a $4.99 in-app purchase for some extra features that are optional but not necessary. Regards, Jordan and Stacy. Hi, Rob. I use the app RunKeeper. I started using it years ago before I started cycling and was doing a lot of running. But because I had all of my history, I continued using it when I picked up cycling. There are a ton of apps that do the same thing, but I found this one works great. For me, it does all the things the listener asks for. For example, Mapping your ride on a map, it will give you the elevation speed, splits, and if you have a heart rate monitor, that will be displayed also. It's really nice to look back at the ride and see how your heart rate goes up on a massive climb and then watch your speed go up on the descent. It can easily be set to up to automatically post to Facebook and Twitter. You can also have inter-app friends at, that can see your workouts and you see theirs. It has a nice web interface where you can view all of your current and previous stats. And as far as I've seen, it also connects with a bevy of other apps and your data can automatically be synced to those as well. Not only is it good for tracking your outdoor activities that can be mapped, but you can also put in your workouts manually like treadmills, stationary bikes, and ellipticals. The app is free. That's how I use it. But it also has paid subscription for premium services that get you even more stats. I recommend the app and think it's well worth trying. Regards, Richard in Atlanta. Hi, Rob. I've used two. The most popular is Map My Ride. It is $2.99 app with five-star rating. I currently use Cyclimeter, which is free. It has extensive tracking capabilities, works with Bluetooth LE heart rate and cadence sensors. It syncs and backs up with iCloud. One problem I have with both apps is that on my long ride, 67 hours, my phone would run out of batteries because the GPS and Bluetooth are constantly on. Regards, Tony L., San Francisco, California. Barry from Rural Hall, North Carolina, also put in a vote for a cyclometer. Dan M. in Heartland, Wisconsin, also put in a vote for a cyclometer and also mentioned the issue of battery drain. Hi, Rob. I use a free app called Sports Tracker www.sports-tracker.com. It measures distance, time, average speed, calories expended, etc., and has a map and charts, shows pace, etc., shows total workouts, distance, 
It allows you to set up friends around the world. I have two in Italy, one in Russia, one in China. It has users from more than 200 countries. You can use this for most activities, walk, run, cycling, etc. Love this app. I went to their website and signed up, then downloaded the iOS app. It's available in the Apple App Store. I can track my activities while listening to music, and it will automatically pause according to your settings. Regards, Barbara E. Greenacres, Florida. So to sum up, the apps recommended look like this. There were four recommendations for Cyclimeter GPS. There were three recommendations each for Strava Cycling and Map My Ride. Two recommendations for RunKeeper and one recommendation each for RAAH Tracker. R-A-A-H Tracker. One word. Runtastic Road Bike. Three words. And Sports Tracker. Two words. Thanks to all that sent in responses on this one. Now everyone else, get out there and ride or walk or run. Links, of course, to all those apps in the show notes for episode 304 over at todayinios.com. We are now well over 600 members in our Google Plus community and growing. Thanks to everyone that has joined and thanks for the great posts. One question in the G Plus community this past week came from Stephen Williams, and he asked a very important question, quote, how does one get rid of air bubbles under your screen protector, unquote. Answers on this include using the edge of a credit card to slowly push out the air bubbles, that from Tony Law. A couple mentioned about getting liquid on the screen protector, including this from Francisco Tapia, quote, applying screen protectors can be a science in itself. I use Liquid IQ Shield. These are wet applicator screen protectors. It's usually best to watch the video on how to apply it a couple of times. Then find yourself a clean workspace. Then it's all about patience. I went with the brand after I was tired of the best skin saver brand that kept peeling off. When you apply, be sure to smooth out the surface in the direction you are applying once done. Take the rubber squeegee and smooth out the bubbles. I, if you used enough liquid, those bubbles should just smooth out, and within 24 hours, they should all be gone. If you try dry apply it to dry apply it, you'll need to peel off the screen protector and reapply. Unquote. Some mentioned not using a screen protector, but I have changed my tune on this. Uh, now. I now use one and have used one for a while because what the screen protector does is it reduces the chances of the screen getting a small chip or a scratch. If your iPhone screen has a scratch or a chip, it is far more likely to fracture when dropped than if it's pristine. Some drops, like the first one I ever did where it hit the floor bolt on Southwest Airline flight, yeah, that'll crack your screen no matter what. But others where you drop where it just lands on a flat floor, it doesn't need to shatter your screen. So I say add a screen protector. Getting one on without bubbles is tough, but having a slightly wet, not dripping wet, screen protector when you apply it seems to help the most and it makes it easiest to get out the air bubbles. Thanks to all that helped out on this one. And there were dozens and dozens of other posts over in the G Plus community. And all yes in an Android boys free zone and spammer free zone. Yep, it's the most civil Google Plus community covering iOS. Folks, go to todayinios.com community to join in. 
And thanks again to all the 600 plus of you that are in the community and contributing now. Prior to Apple's quarterly call, AT&T had their quarterly call, and one day earlier to be precise. And what did we learn from that call? Nada. Zip. Nothing. There was not a single mention of Apple or the iPhone or the iPad in the entire call. Not by AT&T, not by the analysts, no one. It seems Apple and the iPhone are not as important to AT&T as they once were, or at least AT&T and the analysts don't think they are as important. AT&T did mention the word smartphone 17 times in the quarterly call, but no indications of platform, so no mention of Android either. So no news there. And sadly, no news on the Verizon front, as their quarterly call is not until the morning of the 24th, and Sprint's call is not until the 29th of April. If there is anything of interest in either of those calls, I'll mention it on episode 305. Thanks to Cretan for this next one, and it has to do with the rumor about Apple getting into the whole payment system market. Well, it looks like the rumor is starting to get some smoke behind it, as Apple is supposedly out in the market interviewing senior payment industry executives. According to the infamous unnamed source, Apple's ambitions in this area are, quote, very, very serious, unquote. Hey, right there, that's validation in itself. A payment system combined with 600 million iTunes accounts with credit cards and iBeacons all look to be a nice offering in the making. Maybe this is something we will be hearing about come June 2nd at WWDC and something built into iOS 8. Alrighty now. So the Galaxy S5 has been out for a couple of weeks, and that means folks have been able to do some benchmark testing. Not that we can really trust benchmark tests for a Samsung device as they are known to juice their results. That said, how did the S5 do versus the seven-month-old iPhone 5S? Well, Anantec did some testing, quite a bit of testing. In the Sun Spider test, where lower is better, the S5 had a score of 716.9 versus the 414.7 of the 5S. In the Kraken 1.1 test, lower is better. S5 equals 6603 versus the 5S 6070. For the Google Octane test, higher is better. S5 equals 4195, 5S equals 5220. For the Web XPRT test, Higher is better, S5 equals 309, 5S equals 516. So 4 for 4 for the iPhone 5S so far. Okay, I'm not going to go over all of them. But overall, the iPhone 5S beat the S5 with 13 tests going to the 5S. The S5 won 11 tests, and they had three ties. If you want to see the specific results for each test, look for Anantec 5, S5 versus 5S in the show notes for episode 304. But just think how the iPhone 6 with an A8 processor will smoke the S5 when the 6 comes out. Because right now, the 5S is still winning. And typically, new iPhones are almost 2x performance of past devices. Of course, there's a limit to that doubling of performance every year trend. Still, the 6 in 5 months' time should destroy the S5 now because the 5S is beating the S5 today. Macworld had a nice article last week titled, Why Apple's A7 Chip is Better Than the Competition. 
It is a nice uber geeky article which goes over many reasons why the A7 kicks butt and is able to run more calculations simultaneously versus the comp, making it more efficient, thus using less power. So yes, it's more powerful, but uses less power than the comp. And the article mentions the M7 coprocessor. Again, after you read that article, it makes you wonder what Apple has up its sleeve for the A8 processor. Could be a fun fall. And there was also a nice article over at the New York Times blog titled, In the Battle for Best Smartphone, Apple Still Beats Samsung. In this article, the author states, If you are looking for the best Android phone, almost all reviewers of the S5 say it's the best, or at worst, tied for best with the HTC One. But as the article says, if you are looking for the best smartphone today, then, well, it's the iPhone 5S. Or as they said, when talking about how the S5 compares to the 5S, quote, not very well. By just about every major measure you can care about, from speed to design to ease of use to the quality of its apps, Samsung's phone ranks behind the iPhone, sometimes far behind, unquote. I think these three articles show one common theme, that when you get an iOS device, it is better than the comp in many ways and well ahead of the competition release-wise. If you don't look at screen size, which again, making something like this bigger is not harder. Making it smaller is harder. And as the last article went on to say, the only advantage at this point for Samsung over Apple is for those that have a preference for a big screen phone. And Apple will likely take that advantage away in the fall. Thanks to Dexter E for the heads up on the article that went over all those three previous articles mentioned. Thanks to all those that sent in this next one, which is one more S5 versus 5S comparison. And this one is by the fine folks at Square Trade. And they look to see which device was the most likely to survive a drop onto asphalt or a swim in the toilet. Actually, they also included the HTC One and the Nexus 5 in those tests. And the results overall, the iPhone 5S had the best score followed by the S5, then the HTC One, and then the Nexus 5. Interestingly, in the water submersion test, two of the phones kept working fine. One was the S5, as expected, as being waterproof is one of its listed features. The other phone that kept working when dunked in three inches of water for 10 seconds was the iPhone 5S. If you have the stomach for it, there are some videos of the devices being dropped and dunked. Look for the link titled, Which Smartphone is Tougher? in the show notes for episode 304 at todayinios.com. And again, the answer to that question is the iPhone 5S. So for all of you that had purchased an iPhone 5S, I hope you're feeling even better about that purchase. And for any of you that were actually thinking of going to an S5, I hope that snapped you back to reality. Hi, Rob. This is Ken Sweat from Southwest Florida, and I wanted to respond to the uh, caller who had a problem with messages in iMessage not sending his SMS. This is actually a default setting that has to be turned on. Uh, it's defaulted to off, and you have to go into settings, then message, and then there is a switch for send as SMS. And what that does is when uh, internet connection is not available, it will try it, as, uh, try it as iMessage first. If it can't send, it'll wait a few seconds, and then it will send it as a text message. And it'll actually change colors in iMessage so that you can see uh, which messages were delivered as uh, iMessage and which ones were delivered as text messages. Thank you. I love your show. 
and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Hey, Rob, this is Josh from Oklahoma. Go to settings and then tap messages and send as SMS when iMessage is unavailable. It's turned off in iOS 7, and so you manually have to go in there and turn it back on. Don't know why Apple's doing it, but I'm sure they'll fix it. But if you turn it on, then if it sends and it doesn't work over iMessage, it will work then because it'll try and send it as a text message after that. Love the show. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, gentlemen, for the feedback. And thanks to all the others that emailed in about that as well. And here's an email back from the person that originally started this whole string. Hi, Rob. Further to my last email, I have been testing sending text messages to my wife with her 5S having no active data connection, and I am finding that after about five minutes, my iMessage attempt does automatically convert to SMS, and she then receives a text. This also is working when she sends a text to me. What I have also noticed is we receive the SMS, and if we delete it and then switch our internet connection back on, we get the same text message sent through as an iMessage. If you don't delete the SMS and then switch your internet on, you don't get a duplicate iMessage sent through. The existing text just merely changes from saying text message to iMessage. I hope that helps listeners. Regards, Steve in Brisbane, Australia. Back to the email bag for a different issue. Hi, Rob. To the user who needed to reset his work phone but could not get the password in order to do the factory reset. I'm not absolutely sure about this. I am pretty sure I've done this before. If he does the restore in the method of a forced restore on the computer where you hold down the option button and click the restore, then find the disk image with the latest version of iOS on it, normally it does not ask for the password. I'm not sure if that's just something that Apple never really got around to securing or if it's a backdoor for developers such as myself who actually do need to restore devices that have been broken. But due to past experience, it has worked before and should work for him. Regards, Cody L. Cody, I think Apple's fixed that issue with iOS 7. Uh, it's more secure, and, and I don't think you can do that unless... Even if you can still do it, I don't believe you can do it unless you do it right from the computer that that phone is registered with. And I think that was the issue is that phone was registered on a different computer, maybe the work computer that the person took with them. But in, in any case, I think it with iOS 7, iPhones have become more secure so that people can't just steal it and then reformat it from a device that they've stolen. Hey Rob, I work as desk-side support for a company and I often have to support Apple devices that the VIPs and their EAs have. I had an issue similar to the call that where the iPhone that he can't re, couldn't repurpose, if he has a serial number and all the documentation for the purchase of the device, like purchase order numbers, Apple can unlock the device. Here in Canada, the process takes about three days. Regards, Michael A. Hi, Rob. I manage the mobile department for my com company, and we come across locked return devices all the time. If the old employee won't unlock the device, which they can do at iCloud.com, then Apple can do it for you. They require the original invoice showing the company is the owner of the device, and then they will turn off the activation lock. Call Apple customer service, and they will give you the email address to send the invoice. You also need the device serial number, 
it's a pain to do, and I agree with you that the easiest way is to get the previous employer to turn off activation lock for you. I have only had one old employee refuse to turn off the activation lock. Regards, Dan. Well, gentlemen, thank you for your feedback. And it is good to see that Apple will respond to companies and businesses that have proof of purchase and the serial number and that they will unlock because that is something that's going to happen from time to time. And you're going to even have worse issues where an employee is no longer available as in they passed away and you need to unlock the device. As you may recall in the last episode, I talked about that scam of an Indiegogo project that was a smart bracelet that supposedly would be able to count your calorie intake for you by sensing changes in your skin. Uh, yeah. Well, this next one is the opposite of that. It is a project for counting calories as well, but the opposite part comes not from relying on pixie dust and magic bracelets, but rather by weighing your food and having a smart scale that connects to your iPad and their app. So how this would work, you put your food on the scale, say what type of food it is, and it tracks how many calories you are consuming. The project is called SITU, S-I-T-U. It has a goal of 35,000 pounds and is currently at over 31,000 pounds and has until May 2nd at 7.30 a.m. Central Time for funding, so it's close. They describe it as such, quote, SITU is a smart food nutrition scale anyone can use. It weighs your food in calories and nutrients in addition to grams and ounces, unquote. Pricing is 50 pounds, but just a few left at that price. Then it goes to 70 pounds, and there's an additional 12 pounds for shipping outside the UK. To find out more on this one, search for SITU in iTunes, not in iTunes, in Kickstarter, search for SITU at kickstarter.com or in the show notes for episode 304. The one thing I will say on this one is since it's a pretty good size scale, it's not like you can really take it with you. It's not going to fit in your back pocket. And it's for the iPad. What I think would be nice is a smaller, compact, more travel-friendly scale, or even better yet, a scale that's a case for your iPhone or iPad. So essentially... You can take it easily with you and weigh food wherever you are. You figure out how to do that, and bam, now you're talking about a mega Kickstarter project. Just saying. Hopefully no one swarmy is listening to the show because I'd hate for someone to go over to Indiegogo and just put up a project saying they could do it because they'd probably walk away with a million dollars or so. There is one other post I wanted to mention from the Google Plus community, and it was from Paul Kelly, and here is the post. Quote, let's talk travel apps. For all the road warriors out there, here are some of what I use. What are you using? One, Flight Tracker Pro. It lets me know about flight changes before Delta goes. Two, Gate Guru. Picks up where the Delta app falls short. Three, TripIt. Adds all of my reservations to my calendar. Four, Fly Delta app. Great app. Adds your ticket to Passbook and now tracks your bags. Nice Side note, I love to see all the people using passbook tickets that don't know you can turn off your phone and it will still be there. Five, flying. Just a fun way to see how much you fly. For driving, there's Waze, knows where traffic and cops are. There's Fantastical, links with Waze and TripIt, very nice. And iExit, great for knowing what's ahead of you. 
And for a fun app, there's Footprint, drops flags of all the places you go, unquote. Some responses from the G Plus community. Troy Kenny suggested Flight Stats app for arrival departures and current whereabouts. Euros Santena suggested Trip Case. Tom Lucas suggested Trip Deck and Trip List. What are some of your favorite apps if you are a road warrior? 206-666-6364, that's 206-MOON-DOG, or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. And of course, links in the show notes to all those apps just mentioned. Thanks to Dr. John and others for this next one, and it's about Apple's Maps making some news again. Oh no, you say, what did Apple Maps do this time? Well, according to some, it found the Loch Ness Monster. Seems there is a disturbance in the water when you zoom in on one of the satellite photos on the Apple Maps app on the iPad or iPhone, where it looks like it could be the Loch Ness Monster swimming near the surface of the water in Loch Ness. And this is something I was able to find as well. It measures about 100 feet long. So there you have it. Proof from Apple Maps there is a Loch Ness Monster. Well, it's either that or a combined matrix satellite photo that when brought together covered over the boat, leaving only the wake of the boat showing in the image that then was found and thought by many to be the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, that whole it could just be the wake from a boat theory is just crazy. Clearly, this is Nessie. FYI, if you want to find it yourself, search for Loch Ness Scotland on your iOS device in the Maps app. Then in the upper northeast corner of the loch, right near where there's kind of a dimple, zoom in there. Then in between doors on the south and Largemore on the north, look for a small, small alcove on the eastern shore. As you zoom in there, you'll see three small boats. Then look a quarter mile northwest of the boats and you will see Nessie. I actually dropped a pin on Nessie and emailed the pin to myself. So if you can't find her or him, email me and I'll send you the pin. Back to the email bag. Hi Rob, I just got this text from AT&T. People complain about them a lot, but this was pretty nice. So the background, I am a firefighter, paramedic, and live about 30 miles from the Oso landslide. I've been up there working EMS on the dig site can only assume the message below has to do with the slide. Kudos to AT&T for this. Quote, AT&T free message. Our thoughts are with you, your family, and neighbors during this difficult time. To help you stay connected with loved ones without the worry of overage charges, your account will be credited for any wireless overages, overages incurred from 322.14 to 421.14. This credit will be applied to your bill no later than June. You don't need to do a thing. Unquote. Regards, Ken. Well, thanks, Ken, for sending that along. Yes, AT&T does some things to get knocked around for and make headlines over. And it's a sad truth that the good things companies do rarely, if ever, get the same coverage. Kudos to AT&T on this one. Hi, Rob. I have a question for the audience, which is about an app for clothes tracking. I'm in a role where I travel extensively to see customers and I may see one customer twice a month, and I want to keep up with what I was wearing that day, so I just don't happen three visits in a row, I wear one of the same 12 suits. This would have been even more important for me back when I called on hospitals and saw the same customers every week. Regards, Rich. Well, folks, if you have a good app that you like to do this with, 
please send an email to todayinios at gmail.com and let us know which apps you use for tracking your clothes wearing. Of course, you could just number your suits, Rich, 1 to 12, and then just in your calendar on your iOS device, put down that suit one and track out your suits ahead of time and say, you know, in the morning, have just a reminder pop up that today it's suit one and today it's suit two. And you can go back and look through your calendar to see who you visited in the past and make sure on those past days that you didn't wear that suit. And it's kind of a manual thing, but I guess anything you're going to do here is a manual thing. But folks, if you have a better app than just using the calendar app that makes it easier to manage, let us know what app that is. Again, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOONDOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Earth Day was earlier this week, and my wife was near the Apple store on Earth Day, and she noticed that Apple had a green leaf above the apple. Kudos to Apple on that. And thanks to Dr. John for the link to the article on Mashable, which has to do with Apple's new ad about saving the planet, which Tim Cook narrated. But rather than talk about the ad or talk about the Mashable article, here is the audio ad from Tim Cook. Let's play it. Better. It's a powerful word and a powerful ideal. It makes us look at the world and want more than anything to change it for the better, to innovate, improve, to reinvent, to make it better. It's in our DNA. And better can't be better if it doesn't consider everything, our products, our values, and an even stronger commitment to the environment for the future, to use greener materials, less packaging, to do everything we can to keep our products out of landfills, changes that will benefit people as well as the planet. To us, better is a force of nature. It drives us to build things we never imagined, New data centers powered by the sun and wind. A new manufacturing facility that runs on 100% clean energy. And new product designs that make use of recycled materials. All ways to reduce our impact on the environment. We have a long way to go and a lot to learn. But now, more than ever, we will work to leave the world better than we found it and make the tools that inspire others to do the same. And that is why I am proud to have a podcast about Apple products. They're doing more things than just making better products, which have better profits. They are doing things to make this a better planet. And well, don't you feel better knowing that by picking an iOS device, you are helping making this a better planet as well. Okay, with all that in mind, now it's time to see how Apple did last quarter and if the word better is used or worse because the green analysts are most interested in is not the same green Tim Cook just talked about. Okay, per Apple's quarterly conference call, here's a breakdown on the numbers. Well, first off, Tim Cook was on the call and he did a lot of talking early on. Then they handed it off to their, who's going to be their new CFO, Lucas. Peter Oppenheimer was not on the call, which was kind of strange. But anyway, let's get into the numbers. Quarterly revenue, $45.6 billion for the quarter, 
versus $43.6 billion a year ago and $57.6 billion last quarter. The $45.6 billion for the quarter was a record for the first quarter of the year, the March quarter, and a record for a non-holiday quarter. Total cash is now equal to $150.6 billion, down $8.2 billion for the quarter from $158.5 billion previously. The reason for the drop in the amount of cash is not due to them not generating cash. They actually generated $13.5 billion in cash for the quarter, but they returned $21 billion via dividends and stock buybacks. For the last quarter, Apple analysts had predicted anywhere between $34.7 million and $42.5 million iPhone units sold. I predicted $39.4 million, and the actual number was $43.7 million versus the $37.4 million a year ago and $51 million last quarter. And the analyst closest to the pen was Charlie Wolf of Needham & Company with a guess of $42.5 million. Furthest from the pen was Cole Binder Garcha with Credit Suisse, or Credit Suisse uh, with a guess of 34.7 million units for a miss of an even 9 million units. Yep, everybody was under on this one. For the last quarter, Apple analysts predicted between 15 and 21.81 million iPads to be sold. I predicted 20.2, and the actual number was 16.3 versus 19.5 million a year ago quarter and 26 million last quarter. And Atlanta's closest to the pin was Andy Hargraves with a guess of 17.5 million. Furthest from the pin, Horace, overly optimistic, they do, of a Simco with a guess of 21.81 million. So Apple was much higher than anyone thought on the iPhone sales and lower than all but one analyst thought on the iPad sales. So iPhone sales much higher, iPad sales much lower. Which one do you think the blogs will be talking about tomorrow? Yep, the iPad sales numbers. Apple knows that too. And they said, per the iPad numbers, the big channel inventory increase last year versus channel inventory decrease this year was one of the key reasons for the difference in what Apple did and what the analysts thought. And also, at the end of 2012, there was a big backlog of iPad mini orders versus Q4 2013, where there was enough inventory to cover iPad demand. Again, those were the key reasons why iPad sales came in below analyst estimates. Uh, 17.5 million sell-through this year versus 18 million sell-through last year is what Apple talked about. And if you figure in the backlog carryover from 2012, this year versus last year, there was pretty much even or little, uh, maybe even a little higher demand. So when you read some blog posts over the next few days talking about doom and gloom for the iPad, remember... Those people either don't know what they're talking about or are purposely misleading you. Just saying. Some additional info from the quarterly call. Now uh, Apple has almost 800 million iTunes accounts registered out there, most of which have credit cards. With regards to the iPhone and the record sales, channel inventory only increased by 100,000 units for the quarter. So the number of iPhone sales are very legit and basically reflect what pass-through was or sell-through was. Apple announced they will also do a 7-for-1 stock split. So trying to uh, help pump up the stock that way. 
iPad now has 95% share of the U.S. education market. 91% of the enterprise tablet activations are also iPads. In four years, iPad unit sales are two times what the iPhone sales were in its first four years and seven times the iPod sales in its first years. Tim Cook said what I said about Office. If it was released earlier, it would have been better for Microsoft as there are many alternatives now. But Tim said he is happy it is here now. iPhone 4S buyers, 85% of them are first-time iPhone buyers, with over 60% of them switching from Android. And we made it about 57-plus minutes through the call without a single mention of Apple TV, which was kind of getting scared there. But then Uncle Gene Monster had a chance to ask a question, and of course he asked about Apple TV and the removal of the hobby label. To which Tim said, said removal was because when he looked at 2013 revenue generated from sales of the Apple TV units themselves and purchases via iTunes on Apple TV boxes, that revenue was over $1 billion, and that did not seem right to call that product a hobby anymore. Per actual unit sales of Apple TV boxes, Tim said there have been over 20 million Apple TVs sold all time. So overall, this was a really, really solid quarterly report with record revenue for a quarter, higher than expected gross margins, higher than expected profits and EPS, and a record for the March quarter for iPhone sales. Again, the only negative was iPad sales falling below analyst expectations. But as Tim said, most of that was because of channel inventory changes year over year and the backlog at the end of 2012. Sell-through was basically the same and Tim went out of his way to talk about iPad sales to date and it being the fastest-selling category all time for Apple. What should we expect from Wall Street? Probably not a whole much. Uh, I think Apple, as I said on the last show, is kind of locked in a trading window of 525 plus or minus 50, or I guess in the future that would be $75 plus or minus 7. Of course, once the split goes through, there may be a change to that, and we could see Apple drift up to the $100 range, which would be equivalent to about $700 today. As Apple said in the call multiple times, their return of cash to shareholders is mostly going to be via stock buyback because Apple feels that their stock is very undervalued at this time. And if you listen to the show for any amount of time, you would know I agree with that sentiment and thoughts as well. Okay, and I did check Apple stock after hours, about 10 minutes after the conference call ended, and Apple stock was up about 7.5% to 564. So at the top of that trading window I mentioned. will be interesting to see where it goes from here. Back into the email bag. Hi, Rob. As you can see in the attachments, well, I can see, but you folks can't. Lately, I noticed buttons disappearing in some of my apps from OmniFocus 2, Drafts and Downcast, all iPhone apps. If I quit the app and load it again, buttons come back, but not for long. Initially, I thought this was a problem with my iPhone 5S, but today I noticed the same behavior on my iPad Air when using Drafts for iPad. I'm running iOS 7.1 on both devices. I'm thinking it might be bugs related to 7.1, and we have to live with them until the developers can catch up with the new versions of the US. Would be great to know if you or any of your listeners have noticed the same thing. Regards, Yanis from London. Hi, Yanis. I have seen the same thing too, especially the podcast app from Apple. 
I have not used iOS 7.1.1 enough yet to know if this update fixed the issue. It's hard to prove uh, that something is not happening, uh, in, at least in a very short period of time, especially when it is something that's intermittent at best, at least for me. Hopefully by the time the next episode comes around, we'll have found that the disappearing buttons bug in iOS 7.1 was squashed with 7.1.1. If anyone that upgraded to 7.1.1 still is seeing the missing button bug, please email us today at and iOS at gmail.com. That's today in iOS at gmail.com. Or give us a call 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Back to the email bag. Hi, Rob. I have a problem I cannot find any fix for and hope the community could find something for me. I have many beautiful high-resolution photos and I like to sync them with my iPhone 5 for wallpapers. The problem is that iTunes optimizes all of my photos. In this context, it means iTunes shrinks them down to a low resolution so they don't take up as much space. This makes all my pictures ugly with a grainy look and muddy colors. When I download the pictures, it looks great in comparison to the picture I synced to my iPhone. If you or anyone has a fix for this problem, I would love to know. It's been very irritating for me. Additional information to save everyone the trouble of mentioning, I have already tried deleting my iTunes photo cache and resyncing my photos. I'm on a PC. Regards, Marcus L. Marcus, I'm going to throw that one out there. If anyone can help Marcus on this issue, please let us know. Give us a call or send us an email. Back into the email bag. Hi, Rob. In response to the question about iMessages that don't go out as regular text message, one can send an iMessage and then force it as a regular text message by tapping the message and holding it for a little while. An option to send as text message will pop up. Note that this option is only available shortly after a message is sent. I think one reason why an iMessage may appear to be delivered when it's not occurs when multiple devices can receive the iMessage. For example, the iMessage may go to an iPhone out of network and an iPad within a Wi-Fi. It is delivered to the iPad, but not to the iPhone. On the sender's end, it may appear as delivered for that reason. That's my guess. Regards, Sergio S. Sergio, thank you for the heads up on the tap and hold to send us a text message. So this way, you can leave that switch as it was defaulted that we talked about earlier in the episode for SMS messages so they don't go out via cellular. But if you want to, then you can manually tap and hold on that text message and then have the option at that point to send it as a text message. Thanks again to lynda.com for their support of TII. And if you go to lynda.com slash TII, that's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash TII, you'll get a free seven-day trial to their service. Thanks, Linda, for sponsoring this show and for that free offer. If you want to know when new episodes go up, Look at the TI app, not just as the best way to consume the show, but also as a great way to get push messages when a new episode goes live or there is other iOS breaking news. Just $2.99 in the App Store. It helps you get the most out of the show, and it helps support the show at the same time. Plus, it makes it really easy to email or call the show with your feedback. Again, just search for TII in the iTunes App Store. And before we go today, I want to remind you to send in your feedback to the show. 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or record your feedback and email to the show at todayinios at gmail.com. Feedback can be a question or comment 
or something someone said on this episode, or it could be a question or rant you have about something else, an app or a product review, good or bad, as long as it's iOS related, it is welcomed. I'm always looking for new artwork and to feature on the show that you have created on an iOS device. Just put some TII branding on it and send it in. And of course, we're always looking for more music created on an iOS device to play on the show. This is your show and your feedback is greatly desired. And don't forget to check out our moderated Google Plus community by going to todayinios.com slash community. And that, folks, is going to do it for us today. Until the next time, I'm your host, Rob, from Today and iOS, reminding you to phone different. This show is hosted on Libsyn.com and part of the Wizard Media Network. If you are looking for hosting, go to Libsyn.com, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, for hosting for your podcast and for creation of your own smartphone app. The Today and iOS podcast can also be found on the free Stitcher radio app. Just search for T-I-I. Choice in